Nachyomi for the Orthodox Union, Sefer Yoshua, the book of Joshua, Perak Tes Zayin, chapter 16. Rabbi Bini Marilis. As we are in the middle of the discussion of the Nachala, of the giving out of the different uh, pieces of property and land to the Jewish people, we move from the tribe of Yehuda in the last chapter into this chapter, the children of Yosef. And again, as I mentioned at the end of the last uh, class, that it's not um, a coincidence that it goes in that sequence, in that order, that they are first. Um, but rather, those are the two main, quote-unquote, uh, groups in the Jewish people in terms of leadership. We mentioned the Gaon, the Gros, comment at the beginning of this chapter, he says, since Yehuda and Ephraim, they were the leaders of the tribes in every place, whether it was with the, the camping, the encampment in the desert, or whether it was because of the virtue of the first two kings are from them. Right, in the future, hopefully in our time. That the leaders and the, 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 those who will bring the salvation, the redemption to the Jewish people, will be a Mashiach from the tribe of Yosef and a Mashiach from the tribe of Yehuda. So here, where we mentioned previously, Shevet uh, 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 Yehuda, now we get uh, the Shvatim, essentially, of Yosef. The unique nature here is that Yosef, Bnei Yosef, uh, inherit, and that it's two tribes inheriting essentially what will be viewed really as one very large piece of property split into two and then split up again into the different elements and the different families, the Mishpachotam, the different families that exist within the tribe. So keep that in mind as we go through the discussion, we're going to see the borders of the entire piece of property that will belong to Ephraim and Menashe first, and then we'll see the defining lines that are specific to Ephraim in this chapter, and then the next chapter, specific to Menashe. Verse 1. We're talking here, the initial border we're discussing here is going to be the southern border of this property that is in the, the, the land belonging to the Bnei Yosef. So here we begin at the Yardane near Yericho. Hamidbar Olam Yericho Bahar Beit El. It goes up from Yericho towards Beit El. So if we're talking about the way in which it moves, we're looking at a map, what you have is a, a an east-to-west movement, but at the same time it moves slightly slightly to the north uh, towards the place called Bet El. So it leaves and it goes out from Beit El towards Luz. As we mentioned, the term Vayatza does not mean in a straight line, but in sort of a... a a slanted path, and it heads towards Luz. Um, it would seem from the language of the verse that the place called Beit El is not uh, Luz, but perhaps it's in fact the same place. If in fact it's the same place, so then it would be the place that Yaakov Avinu entitled uh, Beit El, that was called Luz earlier, but perhaps 
it's two different places, and therefore the Beit El here may be another Beit El other than the one mentioned uh, in the in the Chumash. Vayarad Yama El Guvul Hayafleti Advul Beit Choron Tachton Viad Gazer. So then it descends. We mentioned the notion of ascending and descending. It's always ascending towards uh, Yerushalayim and in the direction in the vicinity. And then when it moves away. Um, it, it's called Yorate. It's falling, it's going downward. So in verse 3, as it heads south towards the, the area of the Yafleti, is a significant border because that will be a border point for uh, Ephraim uh, on the south, for Binyamin in the west, and for Dan in the northwest. So it's a significant location. So it's Ad Gobet Charon Tachton Ad Gazer. If there's a Beit Charon Tachton, you can be assured that there's a Beit Charon Elyon as well. Until Gazer. Gazer, as we mentioned, is also a significant location. It serves as a border town for Ephraim. It'll serve as a border town for Dan. It's a location I believe we've heard in other locations that we'll hear from again. Vayutotzotav ultimately results at the Yam, which is the Amagadol, which is the Mediterranean Sea. Ah, so that's the southern border. That's the border that we're working with that's significant for us with respect to the tribes that are the children of Yosef. As we mentioned previously, we had to figure out exactly how the tribes uh, get counted. We took out the two and a half that are on the other side of the river. We took out Shevet Levi that left us short. And we're told in the last chapter that Ephraim and Menashe will inherit. In the same way, though the Torah told us, the Yaakov Avinu, that Ephraim and Menashe would be like Reuven and Shimon, that they'd be sons to him. And how do we see that they'd be like sons? They'd be like sons, that they're counted as individual and separate tribes. So verse 4 says, Yosef That it's one Goral, that it was one swath of property, one piece of property that split up between the two tribes, really a tribe and a half, as is Ephraim, and the other half of the tribe of Menashe. The different, the border for the families of Ephraim, as we mentioned again, is a reminder, Lemishpachosam means that after it was essentially given as a piece of property to the, to the tribe, then it was broken up and split up into pieces um, for the different families that are part of the tribe of Ephraim. How those are, families are counted, we'll deal with in the coming parak in Parak Tetz, in Parak Yudzayin, when we meet up with the daughters of Tzlovchat. If their, their border, Mizrach, <coughs> their border, Mizrach, their eastern border, would be the areas of Atros Adar, Adbeit Choron Elyon, Veyatsa Hagvul, in a place called Michmatas in the north. So the Gvul itself leaves, right? It, it leaves... Um, to the place called Michmatas in the north, and then it goes around and encompasses an area, uh, Ta'anas Shiloh, the area called Shiloh, the famous area of Shiloh. Oh, so if we're working the border, if we want to work the border, we're essentially talking like this. 
just to clarify, I feel the last couple of sukkim may not have been exactly clear. But it's heading towards the east, from west to east. So we have Beit Choron Elyon. You'll have towards Shiloh, moving uh, west to east. And it will pass by a place called Yanocha. And it will come down and it will meet the Yarden near Yericho. From a place called Tapuach, which again we'll see another, in another location, it'll go out towards the sea. Of course, Nachal Kana. Nachal Kana will be a northwestern point on the borders of Ephraim. It'll be in an area that would be considered essentially what's called the Sharon uh, Plain. Um, it would be also, just for the purposes of understanding the map, it's northeast of Yafo, but it leads out into the Yam, into the Yamamela, into the Yam, uh, the Yamagadol, into the Mediterranean. So, Naklas Matemir B'nei Ephraim, Mishpachosam. Verse 9. Very interesting detail. Let's explain in a moment. Very interesting point that's mentioned here in verse 9. One of the details and issues that comes up in the course of the splitting up of the, uh, of the land into the different tribes is the notion that you'll have tribes that are larger now than they were before and tribes that were smaller earlier that are large now. That is to say that when the discussion as to how the land would be broken, be broken up was made, what's had, it was in the Midbar. And it's possible in the course of the years that tribes have shifted in their population numbers. That a tribe that was small in the time of the initial discussion of Nachala is now large. And a tribe that was large then is now small. And then what you have potentially is a situation where you don't have enough space the same time, what was given out in the actual Nachala itself is we'll find cities in other tribal regions that belong to different tribes. So let's say, for example, this is simply a random example. The tribe of Shimon now is suddenly very, very large, whereas before they were very, very small. And let's say, for argument's sake, that Yehuda, which let's say was very large earlier, is now smaller. So perhaps what would happen is that they would spill out into the tribe of Yehuda and they would be given certain cities in the vicinity of their Nachala so that they could have ample space. And thus in verse 9 it says like this, That there were cities within the borders that belonged to Menashe that in fact were given to Ephraim. And those cities count... Those cities count towards the discussion. It's almost like a population transfer, as it were, that you're giving over this space, additional space, to the tribe of Ephraim, which perhaps initially we might not have thought to be the case for them. The chapter ends. They were not, they did not inherit the Kenani tribes that lived in the city of Gazer. In Gazer, Explain that term in a moment. Where Gezer is, as we mentioned, Gezer is in a very sort of strategic location. Gezer is in an area to the north and east of Aza, and it serves as a border town on the north for Dan, and in the south west for Ephraim. 
and it's an area essentially within the center of the Jewish population uh, settings that is not inherited, that is not taken, but rather Mas Oved. It becomes a Lamas Oved. What does that mean? Says the Mitzudat David as follows in his explanation. Rotzelomar, Lomas Mamon. It's not that they took money from the Kina'anim. Ki'imas Avodabaguf. But rather that they served simply as uh, workers for the Jewish population. And that's how it worked. They were under the control and the regency and the auspices of the Jewish people as it was the case essentially with a lot of the different areas where the Jews did not settle the lands that we mentioned military control by the Jews so here in this situation according to the Meditzadas David is it was a sense of servitude they served them, they worked for them they worked for the Jewish people and that's how they paid them quote unquote that so from does not exactly agree he says something a little bit further that the Canaanim were under the Jews essentially and they paid taxes and he goes one step further it would seem obvious and clear that they would require of this group of Canaanim to keep the Zion Mitzvot B'nai Noach the seven Noahide commandments it does not seem likely or possible that the Jewish people would allow them to continue with their abominable and unspeakable behavior, doing the things and behaving in a manner and serving their gods and in their rituals in the way that they were before the Jewish people arrived in the land. So Datsum says it's simply not possible. And if they're going to allow them to stay, it's under certain conditions. It would seem that the Datsofrim would hold that that would be the case in other locations as well. Where all these other towns existed that the Jews did not inherit them, that in fact they may have imposed upon them some level of observance to the degree by which they're at least observant of the Zion Mitzvahs B'nai Noach, the seven Noahide laws, by which then at least they're a moral society and will be allowed to continue to exist in the manner in which they exist to this point. We will see further along in our discussions in the different chapters about the issue of not inheriting and not conquering these lands and these territories and the impact that it has going forward in Nach on the Jewish people in the land and on the, the Jewish people in general with respect to the relationship with God, with respect to the relationship with Torah and Mitzos, and as well with respect to the relationship with each other um, and intertribal um, and intershevet um, issues that come up as we go forward. We continue tomorrow with Perak Yudzain with chapter 17.